The following episode contains graphic violence. Christmas is over, the tree is down, and the house is a mess. Jacob's Krampus costume is draped across the sofa and smells like a wet goat. To be honest, it looks like one too. Ever since you married him, he's encouraged you to take part in the local flavor, the culture of the Alps. And while you appreciate the festive spirit of the season, you're just not that big of a fan of always being left to clean up afterwards. It was the same thing back home in New Orleans, picking up the beads and trash after Mardi Gras, but everyone helped out. This little town in the mountains is a bit more... old-fashioned. Even though Jacob is a pretty modern man, it seems like the general consensus around here is that cleaning up, well, that's women's work. Picking up the nasty monster mask of Jacob's Krampus costume you notice a tear in the stitching at the back of the neck. You've never been much of a seamstress, but it's probably a pretty simple fix if you had any idea where your needle and thread were hiding. Just as you toss it into the basket to wash later, a harsh and rapid rapping interrupts your cleaning. Someone's at the door. Someone very insistent. When you open the door, a tall, white-haired woman stands before you. Her hair is white, like literally white, but she is young and, well, intensely, intimidatingly beautiful. Without saying a word, she pushes past you and into your home. The manner in which she brushes past you, her judging eyes, it's all terribly disconcerting, and you you feebly stutter in what little German you've learned in town or on Duolingo. Hey, hey, what are you doing? You, you can't just... The woman turns like she's on a swivel, placing a single finger on your lips as if to say, Hush. Then turns back to her business of inspecting your abode. Approaching the mantle of the fireplace, she runs this same finger across it, caking it in dust. I was just about to hit that with an extra large bottle of Pledge, you think bitterly and then wonder why you're letting this woman survey your cleaning progress, let alone defending yourself in your head. Who the hell does she think she is? She hovers around the room, looking in every nook and cranny, lifting unwashed dishes and eyeing piles of various clutter. Eventually, she makes it to your laundry basket. In an almost reverent way, she lifts the head of Krampus up to her face, turning it, She notices the frayed stitching you had noticed earlier. Oddly, you think for a second. She's holding it like it's her child. Then banish the thought as you muster the gumption to interject, finally, this time in English. Just who do you think you... Again, she hushes you with her finger. And the dry taste of dust grazes your lips. Have you spun all your flax for winter? She says in perfect English, which might be the most frightening aspect of this interaction so far. You are dumbstruck. She glares at you with deep condescension and disapproval and then declares, You have eight days to bring your house to order and spin your flax. Or else what? You manage a last shred of indignation toward this audacious bitch. 
Using that same dust-covered finger, she draws a line across your belly, turns on her heel, and exits through the front door. The door slams shut, seemingly without her ever touching it. You stand perfectly still, feeling thoroughly violated. When you muster up the courage, you run to the door and open it to tell that horrid woman never to set foot on your property again. But she's gone. Nowhere in sight. Not even a single footprint in the snow. Who was that woman? What business is your home to her? And where the hell do you get flax? Is she really coming back? And if she does, what will she do? Find out on today's episode of Monsters in My Podcast Season 2. Welcome to Monsters in My Podcast Season 2. After a brief hiatus, we are back, and we've got big things planned. New creatures, new stories, new context, and maybe even a guest or two. So, as always, I'm Sean McGee, and I'll be guiding you through the rumors, legends, and histories of everything monstrous from all over the world through all time and story origin. Each episode, I'll do a deep dive on a specific monster, a mythical beast or being, exploring not just anecdotal encounters with them, but also the stories from which they spring and their cultural, psychological, and societal contexts, and of course, also how they evolve uh, as a monster through storytelling and into popular culture. Today's monster, as you can guess, is not the Christmas demon Krampus. Yes, we pulled the little bait and switch on you. But a much more terrifying and judgmental creature, Frau Perchta. So yes, I would like to open up with a bit of an apology. Uh, It has been uh, quite a little hiatus we've taken between seasons, but not so much for that. You know, it, I need a you need a break sometimes to refresh and get an idea of where you want to go with a project like this. And we've got a lot of new ideas and new directions and ways in which we're going to kind of open up what this podcast is really all about. It will still stick true to the form, which is always one creature and a deep dive into that creature. And, but we may be adding extra episodes, um, you know, diving into creatures of, of a particular mythology or monsters in video games, or in television, so forth, having maybe special episodes. Um, But really, I wanted to apologize for the bait and switch. Yes, we've been promising you Krampus for basically two holiday seasons so far. It will happen, but this time I felt like uh, it was a good time to um, give you something maybe not as, you're not as familiar with. Um, Krampus has seen plenty um, of, you know, affection and popularity in Western media. Um, there's even a Hollywood movie, 
which I highly recommend. A really weird and excellent cast too. It's it's it straddles the line of comedy and horror. We'll talk a little bit more about it later. Um, but yeah, so Perkta is connected to Krampus though. Uh, in a way, Perkta is or Perchta um, or Berkta. Yeah, we're gonna go into all these different variations on her name. But in a way, she is Krampus's kin. Um, she even has a retinue of what are called Perchton, which are Krampus-like goat devils that follow her around. If you saw one of the processions um, for, you know, Krampusnacht, which is the festival in the Alps where they celebrate Krampus, um, you would see all these men with these big, hairy, goat-like, d- demonic, Elephas Levi devil-looking um, outfits. Well, those outfits look exactly the same for the festival celebrating Frau Perkta. Um, she doesn't look like that. Uh, we'll get into what she looks like. But um, she is followed by these Krampus-looking Perkton, which are kind of her army, you know, or her followers. So they're both darker, older beings with pre-Christian pagan roots uh, that have survived, you know, sort of as a mischievous um, tradition on the dark side of the Christmas season, you know. Um, I definitely think that in a lot of the episodes that we've done where Christianity comes into stories, uh, we see how there are holidays that become kind of the, you know, I mean, Halloween has, has you know, is probably the most famous version of that, but the kind of anti-upside-down backwards day where it is these pagan, um, you know, systems and ideas come through that Christian um, dominance and get their own holidays that are kind you know, are kind of these flip side, you know, backwards holidays where everything, everything we do, everything playfully that is uh, mischievous and wrong and against what you would expect, um, you know, the Christian ethic to be. So while Krampus has um, his vague threats of kidnapping bad children, um, I, you know, for those of you who don't know the kind of, shorthand and we will do a full episode on Krampus but he's kind of like the dark you know dark twin to Santa Claus you know um where we would you know we've probably heard in in the, in the United States we've heard of you know the idea of of Santa Claus giving us coal if we were bad you know or not giving us presents um there was actually a specific person a specific being uh, assigned to that role of the punisher as opposed to the you know praiser or p- present giving santa claus which was krampus you know in krampus you know varying degrees of of uh brutality uh was known to yes maybe give coal but also kidnap the children who were bad so it was this kind of threat <laughs> you know um the the rod or the um you know, the carrot of the stick. This was the stick method of getting children to behave during the holiday season. Perkta has come to fill a similar slot in some ways. Um, but like I said, while Krampus has those threats of kidnapping children, so does Perkta. But she usually targets the woman of the house um, and is noticeably more fierce, vicious, and violent, honestly, than her behooved cousin. So, in modern times, um, throughout the Alps of southern Germany and Austria, stories and celebrations around Perkta uh, share a lot with Krampus, perhaps because uh, of the process of what we've talked about on a lot of episodes of the show of Christian syncretization. Now, remember, syncretization is kind of, it's basically the way in which a dominant, 
you know, um, kind of colonizing religion takes native Aboriginal pagan beliefs and absorbs them, you know, instead, in other words, it's, it's not quite, if you can't beat them, join them. It's more like if you can't wipe them out, make them join you. Um, and Christianity uses this quite a bit. Um, or it's not so much that Christianity does it like this. It just kind of happens that way as in, you know, they, in this particular story, you'll see how, um, it's more about the myth not being able to be dominated, you know, so it had to be kind of subjugated or debased, you know. Um, so the, you know, some of the celebrations feature the Perkton that I mentioned earlier, a kind of army of henchmen or women, um, which may be young women dressed in elegant traditional regional garb or men dressed similarly to the participants in Krampusnacht. So again, resembling these grotesque half human, half goat man devils. Uh, like Perkta herself, duality to her followers, uh, there's this, you know, this kind of beauty and the beast sort of thing going on. She does have a dual nature, and we are definitely going to, you know, go more into that. And maybe what it says about her history, too. So, her parades are called uh, the Perktenlauf, uh, and they occur over the eight days or 12 days around or leading to Epiphany. So Christmas and then into Epiphany. Um, and Epiphany is unofficially her holiday. Uh, the nature of this lead-up uh, series of days and the looming, pun intended, nature of her Epiphany bring us to the nature of her very vengeful purpose. So we've discussed a little of the modern celebrations, uh, which could take the form of parades um, or just kind of a large festival but always with people dressing up like Frau Perkta and her Perkton, uh, her Krampus-looking devils. Um, but let's dive into the most common lore, the predominant mythos and themes of the Perkta myth. Sometimes um, she's presented as a beautiful white-haired maiden, sometimes as an old crone in hastily stitched rags with an uh, iron crooked nose and one single goose leg. It's quite a grotesque and interesting image. Um, really can't think of too many parallels in the world of monsters and mythology other than good old Baba Yaga, right? With her, you know, her her house on a hen's leg, right? On a giant hen's leg. Um, she is known to have like a crooked nose. It's not necessarily metal, um, but she is definitely in that crone archetype. Um, but she, she, unlike Perkta, doesn't have this... Um, this other flip side of this beautiful white-haired maiden. Um, now, the most kind of accepted, common um, ideas of, of how she functions during the holiday season, so this is not taking into account what we'll dig into later about maybe her, you know, pre-Christian background, uh, but the modern kind of diminutive version of, of Perkta is one that ro is known to roam the countryside visiting homes on the 12 days of Christmas, right? And especially on the 12th night, right? So like Krampus, she can and is capable of and does uh, kidnap children in a sack or worse, <laughs> plucks out their eyes and stuff them, stuffs them with pebbles. Specifically though, she, when she is attacking children, right? Um, she is doing it for them being, uh, for being dishonest, for lying, 
Um, so that's something very interesting. It's a little more specific than Krampus, which where it seems he kind of targets um, just any misbehavior at all. But where she really shines, I mean, this is really her her realm of expertise, at least in this version, right? Remember, this is the post, you know, um, let's say, uh, mudslinging campaign of the Christians in the area, uh, Perkta, we're talking about. But that Perkta, her realm is is in the house, and, and not just in the house, but being such a judgy, judgy bitch. Uh, mind my language, but again, this is this is an adult show uh, about monsters uh, who who cut people's bellies open and pull their eyes out. So yeah, it it can get rough, but yeah, she's really a judgy, judgy bitch. I'm sorry, uh, and she is going to judge your house's cleanliness, um, and or whether you spun enough flax to make clothes for the winter, or if you've done spinning um, on the on her holy days. So. Sometimes it's you haven't spun enough or you haven't cleaned enough. And sometimes it's you were you, you cleaned too much on my special day. I mean, what is it? She can't really be pleased. Uh, I mean, there is a little bit of irony here, I think, uh, uh, for a woman who, yes, sometimes appears as a, as a white-haired, beautifully dressed maiden, um, but sometimes shows up as a lady with a crooked metal nose and, and rags for clothing, right, is going around judging how nice you're you know, how put together your house is. Um, so, but one thing to kind of spin or spin into um, and just un- unravel, yes, puns galore here, uh, is this idea of her obsession with spinning, sometimes called spin uh, stubenfrau, right? A, a like mythic type of um, um, character obsessed with spinning, right? which appears in all kinds of mythology, particularly of this, of this region of, of like Germany and the Alpine regions. Um, you, of course, this is, you know, where we get, you know, sleeping beauty and the curse, um, that comes from the spinning wheels. And of course they destroy all the spinning wheels to prevent that curse. Uh, that's a different, you know, a different story. But again, there is this thread, <laughs> again, the puns, I, these, some of them are not happening, um, deliberately, but that is this kind of running thing in a lot of uh, pagan uh, pre-Christian mythology. So maybe it, you know, indicates just, I mean, a lot of the times the obsessions that these creatures or these characters have just indicate the importance of something at that time. You know, much of mythology reinforces the, you know, the basically like giant to-do lists, not giant, but just to real important to-do lists for your culture. So, you know, that's why so many mythologies have to do with the seasons and the harvest and reaping and sowing and so forth, um, is just basically like to, to get a rhythm of life going, right? Um, so maybe that's some of that coming through. Uh, now let's get back to the brut- brut- brutal stuff here. Uh, so if she judges that your house is not up to par cleanliness wise or you know basically if uh, your hustle is lacking um then she kills uh and she kills you by the woman of the house usually by slitting their bellies and stuffing them with refuse trash wow that's pretty rough uh, i mean that's salt in the wound stuff really um you know you couldn't just couldn't just kill somebody you, you had to also 
stuff them with trash, you know, after basically telling them they, they've got too much trash in their house that they need to clean up. That's, that's rough. So there's a lot of interesting contradictions at play uh, with, with this character of Perkta. You know, where does the brutal judgmental crone character come from? Where does the kind of almost heavenly divine um, white haired maiden um, who seems to connect more towards a protector of the home. Um, well, there's a much longer history to, to Perkta uh, with sources that definitely, you know, um, are rooted in pre-Christian pagan mythology. So we will dig into that. Uh, but first, a quick ad break. Today's episode is brought to you by Dare Danger Dan. Would you like to see Dolly Parton versus Jeff Bezos in space? A reverse mermaid? The you know, the kind where the fish is the head and the the human is the the feet? Yeah. Uh, the Kool-Aid man busting out of Baba Yaga's chicken leg house? A Santar? Yeah, that's what it sounds like, a Santa Claus centaur. If any of these abnormal or absurd scenarios intrigue you, or if you just have some monstrous dares of your own, then check out Dare Danger Dan, the weekly live art show where you can suggest topics and situations for Dare Danger Dan to draw on the spot. Catch him live weekly and pitch an idea on twitch.tv backslash daredangerdan or... Watch previous episodes on YouTube at DPhillips Studios and on Instagram at I am Danger Dan. Has the light of hope gone out in our corner of the multiverse? In the dumpster fires of 2020, 2021, and 2022, is it no longer possible to, shall we say, feel the force? Is the darkness of the Sith eternal. I say no, and so does every lesson, metaphor, and mythic arc in the Star Wars canon and legends. That's right, you guessed it. What started in a very small public park not that far, far away in Portland, Oregon, 15 years ago, is coming back. No, it's not a cult. It's not really a religion. It's a pop culture pep talk drawing on the hero's journey in a galaxy far, far away. From Pocket Media, creators of Monsters in My Pocket, comes The Church of the Force, returning, awakening, and rising anew this spring. Now, back to that judgy, neat freak old crone and her more glorious pagan past. Perkta has a past, and it is not as violent as her present. So, Perkta has roots in Berta, the southern German goddess akin to Frau Halle, who was uh, a goddess of abundance, uh, the home, the hearth, basically everything to do with keeping a healthy, warm, cozy, you know, well-stocked house. During the rise of Christianity... Um, she was thought to protect the souls of unbaptized children uh, during a time of very high infant mortality. So, by all accounts and purposes, really nothing scary, nothing brutal there. I mean, other than protecting against brutality. 
uh, Berchtentag, which was held on January 6th, a special porridge with fish would be left for this protector goddess um, who had yet to acquire her nastier elements. Um, so this was, you know, this was just an offering. This was not something that was meant to, this was meant to thank the goddess, not to deter her from hurting you, right? Um, so the Catholic Church couldn't quite get rid of pagan beliefs in the more secluded regions of the Bavarian Alps. So as is often the case with pagan deities, she got slandered, right? So Berkta, um, basically, I like to think that, you know, the church um, essentially muds, did a mudslinging campaign against her, you know, made up some slander, made up some libelous claims about her. Um, you know, basically, we can't erase her, so we'll just turn her into the bad guy. Uh, I would like to thank the church, though, for turning so many divine beings into monsters for my podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyways, accused people, um, pe or people that were accused of worshiping Domina Perta, um, would be punished, um, and, or there were, there were even books about, um, during kind of the, like the witch, earliest parts of the witch hunting era, um, about, you know, all the different kind of secret satanic beliefs and, and witchcraft that was going on, you know, behind closed doors. And one of the things it warned against was worshiping Domina Berkta or Domina Perkta um, as a kind of, you know, debased version of the Virgin Mary, when in reality, you know, she was debased by the church itself. Uh, now, in Latin America, mother goddesses sometimes were merged with, merged, right, fused with Mary. But Berkta was, Berkta was harder to tame, so they resorted to mythic mudslinging. Now, she kept her domestic sphere of influence, but instead of being protective, it became obsessive and destructive, right? So, you know, less helpful and protective than, you know, invasive uh, and cruel, uh, now, she, there's talk that she may have also been influenced by the Nordic goddess Frigga, um, who is, you know, herself also a, a kind of mysterious, lost to the sands of time character. Um, but there are some shining elements that come through that connect them. Um, I won't say threads that connect them. It's just, it's, it's right there, but it's too obvious. Um, so, you know, there, some of the things that they had in common would be, uh, say, protection over motherhood, aspects of the homestead. Um, like I said, Frigg herself is a vague and complicated being, and we definitely don't have time to get into the Frigg and Freya connection here. Maybe when we do another Norse mythology creature, um, we'll get deeper into that, but not not here. Let's let Perkta shine. So, as far as uh, pop culture... Um, like I said, one of the reasons I chose Perkta, um, for this, for this episode was because of how relatively unfamiliar she is to Western audiences. So, you know, there really hasn't been a lot of pop cultural appearances in the West yet. Um, um, like I said, that was part of the main reasons why I decided to profile her over Krampus. We will get to Krampus eventually, but Krampus is a bit of a spotlight hog these days, right? Um, Grimm's fairy tales, right, is probably one of the most important pivotal, um, you know, appearances of her 
where Holda, the story of Holda featuring Frau Halle, uh, is a story dealing with the spinning of thread and a test of kindness and has connections to the Perkta uh, mythology. But um, Jacob Grimm himself was kind of kind of crusaded for uh, Perkta, the Perkta, Berkta, Frau Halle connection, trying to really, you know, cement and prove the lineage of Perkta as a kind of divine Germanic or Alpine goddess, pagan goddess. Now, this was something that that Grimm was um, was actively kind of engaged in in a lot of his, um, you know, collection, collecting um, and archiving of and retelling, of course, of these uh, pre-Christian mythologies. Um, but I would say today, um, you know, Perkta is mostly alive in her festivals and the parades. Um, there's one connection. This is a bit of a stretch, but I always love talking about the Witcher, so I'll bring it up anyway. But, um, and this is something that Jacob Grimm, you know, um, highlighted as well. Uh, but there is some idea of there being, you know, a connection of Perkta with the Wild Hunt. And maybe that explains why, you know, she, why she rolls with this crew of, Krampus-looking Perkton, you know, goat de- devil men, right? Um, so there is some idea of her connection with the Wild Hunt, which, of course, plays a major role in The Witcher. There's no, as far as I've seen in the books and in the game, there's no outright Perkta-like character. Um, they There's more playing on um, Baba Yaga, which would make sense because uh, most of The Witcher's uh, inspiration comes from Slavic mythology. So a little, uh, you know, just a little nudge uh, over into a different region. But like I said, still not a lot of pop cultural appearances uh, yet. But we'll see. We'll see where that goes. Before I uh, wrap this all up with my kind of my conclusion statements, um, I just want to just say right now that I'm really grateful to everybody who has listen to this and our our followers have really skyrocketed even skyrocketed even in the interim period a uh, little break here uh, that I had um, and I love it because I think this is a show where we you know we're, we're bringing in you know stories that that tackle all aspects of human life they're not just silly fairy tales um, and there's a lot of resonance there and there's something interesting in seeing how different cultures, um, stories survive even when maybe another more aggressive storytelling, um, source comes in to try to stamp it out. Um, so I want to thank people for that. And we've got a lot coming up to look forward to in season two. I hope to have a few surprise guests on, um, some episodes kind of focusing on, you know, specific realms of monsters. So, you know, some of the ideas we've been bouncing around are things like um, maybe a Monsters of Marvel. Um, There is a lot of mythology uh, mixed into Marvel. You saw that on our Loki episode, obviously, or I mean, no, our Jormungandr episode, but which had a lot of Loki in it. Um, And, you know, maybe some some people who uh, are a little bit more uh, experts in specific realms of folklore and myths. Um, so hopefully that'll be coming up soon and you'll get to hear that. Um, but I think, I think all in all, there's going to be some big surprises coming this year. 
Um, another big surprise is, as uh, you heard over the break, uh, Church of the Force. Now, our little ad break there may not have really explained what that is, but um, a long time ago in a city far, far away in or in Portland, Oregon, um, something very strange began, which I can only describe as a bunch of weirdos and artists getting together once a week for church, uh, except uh, it wasn't, you know, a denomination most people had heard of. It was the Church of the Force. And it was essentially just a Star Wars-themed pep talk. And yes, uh, yours truly was the uh, was the the sermon giver, the, I hesitate to say priest, but, you know, the um, the motivational speaker, to be quite frank. And I'm hoping to bring that back this summer or this as early as this spring. And because I, th- because I think uh, we could all use a little pep talk now and then. Um, and since Star Wars has really kind of come out of a dormant phase with things like The Mandalorian, um, I think there's a lot to dive into and, and a lot about identity and finding your own path. I mean, look at Mando and the way. So... Uh, without giving too much of the ideas I'm shopping around. Uh, that's something to look forward to from Pocket Media. The, that's us, the people who make Monsters in My Podcast. So keep an eye out for Church of the Force. Um, hoping to be in your podcast feed this spring. So in conclusion, um, this the character of Perkta is such a perfect shining example of something we, t- we talk about a lot on this show. Um, which is, you know, Christianity, Christianity, or more specifically in this case, Catholicism, um, wanting to have a monopoly on divine motherhood in the Virgin Mary, right? And we've seen how that's, you know, how that's worked out in other regions. Like I said, in Latin America, um, there's some, there's more true syncretization in, in the sense of absorbing the local earth goddess, earth mother. Um, into Mother Mary, right? Um, but in some cases, uh, they wouldn't be absorbed, right? So Frau Perkta, or Berkta becoming Perkta, um, is a perfect example of that, where the old crone slash divine goddess um, of the hearth of motherhood, of protection of the unborn, um, wouldn't be absorbed into the Virgin Mary archetype and so had to be exiled by the church um so berkta the shining one of the myths of the high alps is one such casualty like that yet her dual form and modern celebrations uh, suggest that her watch over home and hearth is far from over uh albeit maybe taken on a little bit more edge now, Jacob Grimm, as I said, wanted to build a case for Perkta, originally riding alongside Berchtold in the Wild Hunt, and just in general giving her, you know, a deeper mythic pedigree. But let's just state the obvious. The hunt for so-called authenticity in the realm of mythology is a quixotic and often fruitless endeavor. I mean, it should be obvious, since myth is made in the telling and retelling how can you really claim that one mythology, one version is authentic? Like language, it's not static, it's ever-evolving. The festivals of Krampus and the Perkton are a testament to the survival of these ancient beings 
um, through multiple permutations. What makes one more authentic than the other? I mean, I would argue that the authenticity is in the living, the living. Uh, it's in how lived in is this mythology? Are people doing things in their daily lives related to this character? Are the stories being currently told? Um, I would argue that that's probably the most authentic. But again, how can something mythic be proven as authentic, right? So while the fear of the crone um, of modern versions of Perkta may inspire, inspire a tidier home, remember behind that, Berkta was a goddess protecting the home, not invading, inspecting, and judging it. Leave that to your in-laws at Christmas. The theme music for today's episode is by the incredible Dan Gross of Waffles and Mochi and Drunk History fame. Synthy sound effects and ambiance by yours truly. Children screaming in the background by my neighbors. And promotional art by the magnificently monstrous Danger Dan Dubois. It really helps if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Go ahead and rate the show on whatever podcast app you prefer. That's always greatly appreciated. But leaving a review is the stuff of true legends. You can also check us out at Monsters in My Podcast on Instagram. And if you're feeling generous, check out our Patreon, where supporting the show can get you exclusive content, including bonus episodes and monstrous merch featuring Danger Dan's awesome artwork. Thank you for listening. Chances are you've turned into one if you've ever caught a leaf in Super Mario Brothers. Or perhaps you've seen them in Miyazaki's delightful Pompoko. In the world of Japanese folklore, this magical raccoon with shape-shifting powers is a bringer of good for- fortune that skews more mischief than mayhem. Tanuki! Join us next time for one of my favorite yokai on Monsters in my podcast. Monsters in my podcast.